Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Whether it's the person who's attacking us or the things that are beyond our control, that maybe somehow Satan is manipulating things or whatever is going on behind the scenes, we don't know. But as we are going through adversity, as God's people, we have to always remember that nothing's happening to us that hasn't first gone through the Lord's filter and he's allowed it, but through it, he's got a bigger purpose that he's going to accomplish. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis chapters 43 through 45 in a message titled, I Am Joseph, Your Brother. Now here's Pastor Brian. Divination. It was believed in the ancient world and still among some people that you can discern the future or tell the future through, you know, certain things. And in the case with a cup, there were those that believed by the swirling of wine in a cup and watching its movements, you could predict the future. Now, remember, Joseph was a man who was a, he was a prophet. He interpreted dreams. He got into the position that he was in because he was able to tell Pharaoh the meaning of his dream. So Joseph had amongst the Egyptians this uh, reputation as being um, a seer. Now, they interpreted that as divination. Joseph was not into divination. He would not have been at all because that was part of a cultic, idolatrous type of religion. And of course, Joseph was worshiping the true God. But Joseph, of course, is going along with all of this because he doesn't want to blow his cover as an Egyptian. He, he's going to press this thing all the way to the end, and it's essential all the way to the very end that they think that he is just who they think he is, this Egyptian lord who is powerful, second only to Pharaoh, and who has these divining powers even. So, but here's Judah. God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. But Joseph said, far be it for me that I should do so. The man is whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. This is the big test right here. This is the big test because Joseph is saying, you guys can go free. You don't have to stay here. I'll I'll keep Benjamin and and you guys can go free. Are they gonna do that? Do they have the same attitude toward Benjamin that they had toward Joseph? They didn't care about him. Didn't matter what happened to him. They didn't care about Jacob previously. They didn't care about how their report of Joseph having died would crush Jacob. Are, are they still the same? So you see, again, this is all planned by Joseph. He's actually testing them at this moment to see if they've had a genuine change of heart. So Judah, Judah came near and said, now remember, if you go back in the story, Judah was the one who suggested to sell Joseph into slavery. They originally were going to kill him. And remember, Reuben 
said, no, you know, we can't kill him. And Reuben was actually trying to get away to, you know, sort of rescue him at a later point. But, but Judah was the one who stood up and said, you know, we can't kill him. He's our brother. His blood will be on our head. Let's sell him. <laughs> but now look at Judah. He's done a complete turnaround. And look what happens with him here. Judah came near to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in the, my Lord's hearing and do not let your anger burn against your servant for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead. That's you, Joseph. And he alone is left of his mother's children. And his father loves him. His father loves him. So Jacob's love was set on Benjamin. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, surely he is torn in pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my hair, my gray hair, with sorrow to the grave." Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became, he's speaking of himself, for the lad, a surety, to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then... I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? So Judah and he's really speaking as the representative of the rest of the brothers, you can see here is a complete change of heart. The man who sold Joseph into slavery is now saying, I will be your slave forever. Just let Benjamin go. And you see how this beautiful transformation has occurred in his life over this long process. Now, interestingly... What Judah is doing here is a foreshadowing of what Christ would do later. And this is perhaps why, or maybe there's a connection, as to why the Messiah would come from Judah, 
rather than even from Joseph or from Reuben, of course, who, you know, was the firstborn. But here we see as, as Judah is basically offering his life in exchange for Benjamin, he is a type of Christ who offered his life in exchange for our lives. So we see the, the picture coming through here. But again, with Judah and with these other men, you see how God worked with them and how over this period of time, God was humbling them and breaking them and changing them to where now they really are true men. They're, they're honest men. They've borne the guilt of their sins and they've acknowledged their sin. And now there's a blessing coming. I wonder if in those 20 years, even though they bore the guilt for those years, I wonder if they ever really came to the place of really confessing. Maybe not, but they certainly did here because through this whole incident, they keep coming back to the same thing. This is God's judgment. We are guilty. This is because God has found out our iniquity. And you know, as you know, but I'll remind you again, God will convict us and he will make us miserable and we will feel guilty. But the moment we repent, everything changes. The moment we come clean with the Lord, everything changes. And that is really the, the thing that always makes the difference when it comes to sin. You know, some people sin, and when they're, when they're faced with their sin, when they're confronted with their sin, when their sin is exposed, they still try to deny it. Or in some cases, they try to blame somebody else for what they've done. They won't take full responsibility. And the person who does that, you know what? They never they never can move on. They, they're stuck. They can't, they can't go anywhere. There's, there's no ability for God to bless. And they stay stuck in that sin. And generally speaking, they just go deeper and deeper into sin and into bitterness and hardness. But when a person comes to that place of just taking full responsibility and saying, Lord, I sinned, forgive me. I am wrong, and I confess that it's my fault. It's not my wife's fault. It's not my husband's fault. It's not my parents' fault. It's not my neighbor's or my boss's or, you know, whoever else. It's nobody's fault but my own. When a person takes that responsibility, that's when real forgiveness comes, and that's when restoration begins, and that's when you can move ahead with the Lord again. But I, I personally, I, I'm amazed at how many people refuse to do that. I think that probably the, one of the great biblical uh, contrasts in this regard is, 
is Saul and David. And I think we've mentioned that before, but I think it's worth mentioning again. Saul and David, both of them committed horrible sins. Surely David's sins were not any less than, than Saul's in many ways with adultery and uh, adding, adding to it uh, murder, really, in the case of Uriah the Hittite. But when you look at David and Saul, you know, what, what is the primary difference? Every time Samuel would come to Saul and as God's spokesman, challenge him on his sin, Saul would come up with an excuse for why he did what he did, or he would try to put the blame over off on somebody else. Saul was much like many people are today. And, you know, actually, we live in a culture today where nobody wants to take responsibility. People don't want to be faulted for anything. It's all somebody else's fault. And, you know, I mean, this is so radically permeating our culture that people with, with horrific behavior in the culture, criminal behavior in the culture, a lot, of, a lot of them would say, well, I'm not responsible. You're responsible. I'm this way because of what you did to me or what you didn't do for me. And so we've, we have developed a, a culture that refuses to take responsibility for its own action and, and particularly for its own sin, a culture much like Saul. In every case, there was some reason why Saul wasn't really wrong. It was somebody else's problem. And that last time when Samuel comes to him and he lays that judgment upon him, Saul says, oh, it was the people. The people, they, they said that we ought to do this. So what could I do? I just was doing what the people said. But David, remember, on the other hand, when David was confronted by Nathan, what did David do? David said, I have sinned. No excuses. Nobody forced me to do it. It wasn't because of my upbringing. It, you know, he didn't come up with any thing that he wanted to sort of divert the blame over to, it was just simply, I have sinned. I have sinned. And Nathan said, God has put away your sin. God could never put away Saul's sin because Saul would never take responsibility for it. And so that's the difference. And I am amazed at how many people I've seen who just want to blame somebody else. And then they, they keep trying to go on in the Lord and, and sometimes in the ministry as though nothing's, you know, nothing's really wrong. Well, it was their fault. But we'll never progress. We'll never advance. We'll never go anywhere. We'll, we'll just be stuck in that sin until we take responsibility for it. And this is what these guys did. They finally fessed up and just took full responsibility for it. And we see the change, the transformation that's coming in their lives. And now we see the blessing that will come upon them. And so then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. 
So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. I wish I could have been there to see that. Man. He made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were scared to death in his presence. (laughs) That's a translation of the word dismayed. They were scared to death. But look at this. I mean, this is, it's amazing how thoroughly clueless they were to the fact that this was Joseph the whole time. All of these things that have happened still in a million years, they never made the connection. And now when Joseph is revealing himself, they're just standing there dumbfounded, stricken with fear. This guy is Joseph. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Wow. Man, Joseph, this guy, he was something else spiritually. He was a man just like any of us. He was thoroughly human. But he was a person whose God's God's grace had gone so deep into his heart that he, he just says, you know, he can see the bigger picture. Don't be angry with yourselves. Don't be afraid. The Lord was in this whole thing. And then he says, for these two years, the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Amazing. For you did not send me here, but God did. You know, we need to have that kind of perspective. We need to be able to see, as Joseph could see the bigger picture, and he could see the hand of the Lord was in the whole thing. Now, these guys, what they did was evil, certainly. No question about it. And they intended to harm Joseph. But God overruled all of that. And and this very thing happens in our lives as well. People attack us at times and things happen to us. And whether it's the person who's attacking us or the, the things that are beyond our control that maybe somehow Satan is manipulating things or whatever is going on behind the scenes, we don't know. But as we are going through adversity, as God's people, we have to always remember that nothing's happening to us that hasn't first gone through the filter, the Lord's filter, and he's allowed it, but through it, he's got 
a bigger purpose that he's going to accomplish. And, and sometimes that bigger purpose will be realized right here in this lifetime, but you know, there's a, a, a whole eternity ahead of us in which no doubt some of the things that we went through here on earth will be understood clearly when we're there. But this is, you know, as I said initially, the, this is the great illustration of Romans 8, 28. For all things work together. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Man, just, you know, the life of Joseph is the exposition of that particular passage. And that particular passage, of course, applies to every one of us who believe in Jesus Christ. And God is working all things for good. And, you know, I have to say this. I think that even right now, as we look at our world and as we see where things are going and as we see the political scene and the economy and all of these things, you know, we have a tendency to look at that as all entirely negative. And I think we need to, to stop seeing it that way and realize, you know, God is still in control. God is at work. And sometimes I think we get discouraged because we're looking at the wrong thing. We think, well, if God's really at work, we're gonna have the American dream restored to us. And the economy's gonna get better. And we're gonna remain the number one nation in the world. But that's not the promise of the gospel. That's not the message of the scriptures. That's not the message of the New Testament. We need to look at what God's doing and where God's working. And you know where you look? Look around you. Look at the people sitting next to you the transformed lives, the way God is working in people's lives and saving them and turning their lives around for eternity and setting them on the course toward heaven, that's the important thing. That's the primary thing. And we need to, I think, instead of just always being you know, upset and downcast and everything about you know, what's going on politically and all, you know, I, how... Can we control any of that? We can't. We can pray and we can trust God. And we can believe the scriptures that say that God, he's the one who raises up kings. He's the one who takes them down. Nebuchadnezzar told us that. Nebuchadnezzar told us that God <laughs> was responsible for raising him up and humbling him and then restoring him. And he was a heathen king. So... We've got to get that, that heavenly perspective. Remember, God is at work. God is saving people. He's transforming lives. He's healing broken families and restoring marriages and delivering kids from destruction. And, you know, that's what he's always been doing. And that's what he's still doing. And one day he's going to, the whole planet's going to be renewed. But that's not going to come through the efforts of the church. It's certainly not going to come through the efforts of some political party. It's only going to come when the Lord Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom. Let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. Beautiful People Don't Just Happen is the title of a book by 
Scott Sauls. And the subtitle is How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans. And I think in the title and the subtitle, we can see that this book is going to be really helpful in helping us understand how God is using the challenging things in our life to make us, in the end, more like Christ. So my recommendation here is Scott Saul's book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. Pick up your copy. I know you're going to be blessed by it. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Sauls. You can order the book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen by Scott Sauls, to remind you to assign a purpose to your regret, hurt, and fear. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.